As we uh, transition from this text, I just want to kind of remind you where we've been. We've been, we've been studying, as, as Paul writes his buddy Tim, Paul was the pastor of a church in a place called Ephesus. He had to leave, had to go. So he said, Tim, next man up, you're in. And uh, Tim was, uh, without a, a search committee or without any vetting from the other, uh, others in Ephesus, he was, he was pressed into duty and uh, apparently had a, kind of a rough go of it. It wasn't uh, something that uh, he found always that easy. And today we're going to kind of finish up talking about leaders and how to handle them. Uh, so, so right off in the, in the first chapter of, of this letter, uh, Paul's saying, hey, Tim, stay, stay. Like, kind of like we say to our, our, you know, our animals, stay, sit. Maybe not that kind. But, uh, but he, he, Tim apparently was thinking of leaving. Uh, it was hard, hard, hard going, especially in the, in, the, in the wake of all these false teachings that have been coming up in the church that he was a pastor of. Paul says, no, you stay there. You hang out with them. In fact, Paul says, let me, let me remind you of my testimony. You know, let me, let me let you, that's the last part of chapter one. Let me, let me let you know where I've come from. If you think you can't do it, then there's no reason that I should be who I am in, in, in my service to Christ. If I can do it, Paul basically says, you can do it too by the power of the Spirit. Gets into chapter two, gives us lots of guidelines, uh, guidelines of, uh, as churches as how to, we are to worship. We looked at those as far as prayer and teaching and those kinds of things. Gets to chapter three, and we see the elders of the churches being described, these are the kinds of leaders. We talked about how uh, these are the descriptions of all of, that all of us should desire to have of us. Our character should be like uh, Paul describes to Timothy, uh, the character of the elders uh, that should be in Ephesus. And then he finishes up there, he goes to chapter four. We get some more, more warnings uh, about uh, how people are gonna fall away in the end times. We discussed that week how it's so easy to just kind of stray from God. We've got all kinds of forces working against us. There's a, an invisible war going on right now uh, between the angels and the demons, and, uh, and, and, and we are constantly being distracted, being tempted, being led astray, and it, uh, it's just a nasty thing. We've got to watch for those things and, and be vigilant in those things. Uh, last week, we uh, got to talk about uh, some of the ways that we need to uh, treat each other generationally in our church, that we need to be respecters of our elders and uh, uh, brothers and sisters to each other in, in the body of Christ. Uh, we also learn that we're supposed to be careful about who we give to, that there's certain people that are worthy of our generosity and others that we need to be careful with. We don't want to be in, enablers of people uh, who are uh, needing uh, some tough love as opposed to some uh, handouts. Anyway, it's been a great series. I've enjoyed it. I hope you uh, liked it if you came late. Uh, you can watch the videos online. Uh, but today we're going to talk about uh, this part of chapter 5. We're not going to get to chapter 6. Everybody say, oh. I don't know if you really mean it, but that's, thank you for saying that. But, uh, uh, but yeah, we're going to finish in chapter 5. And today we're going to talk about how to handle leaders. How to handle leaders. Uh, Paul's going to say to Tim, how, here's how you should train your people uh, to treat the leadership of the church, the elders of the church. Uh, we have all kinds of leaders in our midst right now. Certainly there are people who are paid to work here, uh, our pastors and directors and the rest of our staff. But there are uh, uh, nine elders that serve our church and leading our church. There are uh, dozens, hundreds perhaps, of, of life group leaders and teachers. There's all kinds of uh, leadership happening that makes a church like ours go. And uh, Paul's going to say, hey, listen, Tim, here, here's how the whole leadership thing should be handled I've been uh, doing this gig for 26 years. I've, I've never had another job in my post-collegiate career uh, than full-time paid ministry. Before that, I grew up in a pastor's house. So uh, all of my life, I've gone to church. Was born uh, Saturday, was in church Sunday. That was basically my gig. Uh, I grew up in one of these things. I don't know anything different. 
Uh, I've seen the very best of church and how churches have honored leaders and treated leaders and encouraged leaders and trained leaders. I've seen, uh, especially in growing, my growing up years in some of the churches my dad was a pastor at, uh, some really difficult things in church where uh, uh, a common adage amongst uh, pastoral leaders is that sheep bite. Uh, it's true. You like that one, that's good, okay. Uh, yeah, sheep, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, and it's unfortunate, uh, but sometimes the, the derailing of the Christian mission is Christians. Uh, the greatest thing that we have to uh, guard against is ourselves, and sometimes the way that we treat each other, sometimes the way, we, the way that we treat our leaders. I certainly saw that happen in too many stops along my dad's uh, journey as a pastor. But um, in my life, it's been mostly great. There's been some nights as a pastor where I've been like, Lord, anything else, anything else, please, just I'll do anything else. Uh, but those I'm grateful uh, to report are far and few between because most of the time I come to my job as your pastor and I'm, I trust that's the, the, the same for the others who serve here and who serve in other churches. Come, and and we just, we're amazed by the fact that God lets us do this and feed our families at the same time. It's just an incredible gift. I sat in the last couple of weeks with a couple of people that uh, have come to Christ in the time that I've known them. I'm discipling them now. And there's just, there's few things better in life than to sit down with someone and see the lights turn on as they get excited about their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's my job. I'm a professional Christian. That's a great gig. Now, uh, certainly, uh, leaders uh, can make or break a place. And how we treat leaders, how we handle leaders is gonna uh, greatly affect the effectiveness of anything that God is calling us to do as a church. So with that in mind, I want us to understand from these verses how to handle leaders well, because the health of the church and the mission of the gospel through us as a church depends on it. Three things this morning, and then we'll go get some leftovers, cool? First one's this. When it comes to handling leaders, we need to honor leaders. Oh, I'm supposed to read the verses. My bad. Can we stand and read some verses? Here we go. I got so excited there, I just wanted to start preaching. Full voices. Everybody ready to read? This is God's word. It says this, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and in teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. We'll get to that one. The sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Have a seat. Three things. First one's this. Honor those who lead. Starting in verse 17, it says this. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of a double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Here's, here's the deal. There, there should be honor given to those who lead, whether they're paid uh, leaders or lay leaders. There should be honor, especially if they rule well. 
If you, if you lead well, rule seems kind of strong there, but the, the actual word there means to lead or to serve as you lead. If, if you lead well, uh, honor those who lead well. Honor those especially who are preaching and teaching. It goes on and says in verse 18, for the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. That's in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 25, verse 4. Uh, it, it's apparently an old Israel uh, or Israeli saying. Uh, don't be choking out the animals that are, that are doing your work for you. Uh, don't be putting a muzzle on their face when they're out there plowing your fields, keeping them from eating so that they can have the energy to do what they need to do for you. Take care of them. Serve those who serve you. Honor those who serve you. Uh, Deuteronomy 25, this next saying, though, the laborer deserves his wages. Anybody know where that comes from? I'll tell you. It's Luke chapter t- uh, 10, verse 7. It's in red letters. That means who said it? Jesus said it. It's one of the first times that uh, these words have been you know, stated in, in, the, in the epistles. The scripture says, Luke hasn't even been written yet, but Jesus, or that Paul says that Jesus' words are on par with the Old Testament scriptures. It's kind of an important verse there. Helps us understand uh, that Jesus' teaching was seen in the early church as being on par with everything that they'd learned growing up in their Jewish faith. But Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, uh, verse seven, as he's telling his disciples to go out, he talked about the, 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 the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Let's go out then. Go out two by two. Don't take anything with you. Just trust God to take care of you. And listen, when you land in a house, take advantage of, of those people who are being hospitable to you. Take advantage of all those things that they're giving to you because, he says, the laborer deserves his wages. Now, I'm sure this has been preached lots of times by pastors who want a jet. Okay, I don't want a jet. No pastor, by the way, I believe, should want a jet. If you're ever at a church where a pastor wants you to pay for his jet, would you please leave? <laughs> leave that church immediately. Like, don't even wait for the sermon to end. Just get up and get out. Because here's the deal. The pastor, as we've learned in many other places, especially in chapter three of this, it's not about the money. We shouldn't do it for the love of the money. Okay? So on the one end of this honoring thing is that we don't want to over-honor anybody in ministry. Everybody with me? On the other end, though, is the, is the kind of the world that I grew up in, in my dad's house. Uh, we, we grew up going to smaller churches, and certainly the resources there were less, uh, but it almost felt like they were wanting us to stay, we want to make sure that you stay faithful. We want to make sure that you have a, a strong prayer life, so we're going to pay your dad this. Uh, we uh, grew up waiting lots of weeks for groceries to land on our back step because we didn't have enough money to pay for them ourselves. Uh, it's just kind of the, the, the life that we had. Uh, we were taught faith at an early age, but I don't think uh, that, a, that a church should see themselves as uh, being the, uh, the you know, instigators of God's faith being taught to their pastors. They, they should provide a, a, a decent wage, and I'm grateful to be at a church that does that. We have these, um, you know, uh, studies that go out that kind of give us the, the, the ranges for pastors and, and staff to be paid, and we try, we try to stay right in the middle or maybe a little bit lower than those ranges and uh, have done that so that people around here can feed their families and take it. And, and so I, I want you to know, I'm not going to talk about money a bunch today, I'm grateful to be a part of a church that takes care of its, of its, of its staff, of its, of its pastors. Uh, so certainly Paul's talking about this when it comes to you know, taking care of those who serve, uh, make it possible for them uh, to study. Like, I, you know, I take two and a half days to study to preach to you. You may not think that when I get up here and do it, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's how long it takes me to, to do this. Some, some people ask me, hey, what's your other job? You know, I know you work, you work here on Sundays. What's your other job? 
Well, this is it. This is what I do. I counsel and lead and pastor and study. And I'm grateful to be a part of a church that makes that possible. But I think it goes beyond just the, the, the monetary. I think this goes into respect and honor. Uh, uh, certainly in that culture, uh, people who are esteemed as leaders, who are given uh, you know, uh, honor and credit for the things that they did, uh, it kept them going. And so Paul is certainly telling uh, Tim, hey, instruct people to be encouragers of those who lead. I'm grateful to be a part of a church that does that too. Um, not with perfection, but I think for the most part, uh, when it comes to people even uh, offering their ideas, criticizing maybe even might be the word we use, saying, hey, this could be better. Uh, for the most part, people say their things, give their ideas, which I want you to do, in a way that's hearable. Anybody know what I'm talking about there? Got a sweet letter from someone here in our church this past week, and they brought us some great points, and at the end of the letter, this person wrote, thank you for your faithful service to our church body and for your passionately leading us. We pray for you often, and we know your job's not easy. And I don't, you know, I was listening, I was on track, I was following everything the letter was saying, but when I got to the last part, I was like, oh man, now I, I, I'm, I'm way more, not that I wasn't open before, but I'm way more open, understanding the heart from which this uh, you know, instruction or criticism was coming from, I'm way more open to thinking about it and praying about it rather than it being, you stink, you're a loser, I'm leaving. And by the way, on the way out, here's what's, everything that's wrong with your church. I've gotten those emails too. It just changes things. So many of you have been encouraging to uh, many on our t- staff. I pray you're encouraging with people who lead your life groups and stuff like that too, but uh, I actually keep all the, the, the letters that people send me, the things that are encouraging me. The bulletin insert's not one of them. Um, but this is just the last couple years from this one family in our church uh, that their names are grateful members. They won't let me know who they are, which is fine. Uh, but they write me every month on the month, and they say things like this. This is this last month. Uh, you are loved here. I don't know if they took a poll, but uh, you know I appreciate them saying that. Uh, you are loved here at Bay Life, and we really appreciate you. We're praying for you and for your family. Have a, a blessed month, peace and much love, grateful members. It's always something like that. And I look forward to that. I remember growing up when you were a kid, you know, uh, back when you know, the mail would come, uh, and it was your birthday, and you were, you know, where's the cards? Where's the cards? Right? Because you knew there was stuff in it, and you're like, oh. Uh, you know, in this day and age where the only mail I get is either junk or bills, uh, even here at the church, when I, when I see this letter coming in, I, could, I, I know the handwriting. It's been coming for like the last nine or ten years, and, I, and I'm always excited to, to read uh, the, the honor that flows from the pen of this family. I'm grateful for it. Uh, I'm going to try to leave you with some, some takeaways today. So as we talk about this honor thing, know that uh, our staff is grateful for the honor that we received here. But I, I know it can always be better, especially, and I'm hopefully extending this p- beyond just our pastors and directors, but to our elders. If you know some of the elders at our church, um, if you know uh, your life group leaders and stuff like that, would you do me this honor, this, uh, this, this, this service? Would you spend some time this next week just firing off a quick text composing a sweet email, maybe even getting a card, and just letting someone who leads around here, uh, I'm excluded. It would be weird if I got up here and said, would you write me some cards, please? (laughs) Don't write me, okay? Use this opportunity to bless others that lead around here. But take some time to honor those who lead. 
Now, maybe it's not someone, you know, because you're newer here and you're like, I don't know anybody here. Maybe you've got a leader from your life uh, in the past, spiritually, that has been instrumental in you becoming who you are. Would you take some time? Because here's what I'll guarantee you. We don't have a bonus, like a monetary bonus structure here. Like, I don't get paid per soul, you know, that gets one or, or you know, like a percentage of the baptisms. It's not how we're structured, okay? It's not how we roll. That would be very strange and very, uh, not, not, it's not going to ever happen. But my bonuses every year are those cards and those words that on hard days, there's hard days. Who's had hard days at their jobs? Anybody's had hard days? Okay, uh, leaders in, in spiritual stuff, same deal. Hard days. Now, if, if you are a part of the Lord's army with me, uh, uh, we serve in roles where we're the generals, and the enemy loves to pick us off because he knows if he could sway the leader, he could sway the flock. And so on those days where uh, leaders can be questioning their call, can be wondering if anything's working, uh, can, can just you know, be considering this is the end, this, this might be something that I'm not called to do. When those letters come in, those encouragements come in, that's the bonus, that's our bonus structure. Would you take some time this week to be somebody's bonus this year? I pray you will. The second thing is this, be fair and firm with those who lead. Be fair and firm with those who lead. Gotta be both. Got to be fair on the one side. Don't be overly accusative, overly uh, you know, punitive. But on the other side, listen, if something's wrong, call a spade a shovel. <laughs> That's a Texas thing. Anyway, uh, say what it is and deal with it for the health of the church, for the sake of that leader. Be fair and be firm. Look what it says in verse 9. Talk about being fair first. It says, do not admit a charge against elders except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Uh, don't be party to fake news. My mom told me growing up, hey, church is a talking sport. People love to talk in churches. You know, uh, uh, hopefully this doesn't happen every lunch when you get, you know, out of here, but uh, uh, in some of the lunches that I was a part of growing up when I went out with other families, they would spend their lunchtime evaluating what happened at church. Sermon 5.5. Just wasn't on his game today. That third song, Point two, hate that song, right? And people just kind of, because it's what you just experienced and we do what we do, we go to games, we go to, you know, do life and we come back and we kind of talk about it. And what can happen sometimes is that from those, you know, more innocent kind of uh, evaluations, opinions can arise. And then opinions can harden. And they can become um, established in our thinking and all of a sudden when, when someone's name gets brought up in conversation, we go, oh, that dude, that lady, that leader, and we start spreading this idea that you know, people aren't uh, worthy of our follow. Now listen, I'm not saying that leaders don't make mistakes. I've made plenty. Gonna make more. Welcome, good to have you, okay? I'm not saying that they shouldn't be called for those mistakes. We'll get to that in a second. But what we should have as a prevailing attitude towards our leaders is the benefit of the grace. Ever heard of the benefit of the doubt? As Christians, we ranch it up, ratchet it up. We, we, we give the benefit of the grace. We assume the best. And here's, here's what I tell you. When, when people start disparaging and speaking poorly of other leaders, uh, it's our job uh, to listen to those things and, and, and then to correct it where, where it's necessary. Uh, that person and understanding, hey, listen, if you've got a problem with that person, there's this chapter in the Bible, Matthew 18, if you've got a problem with that person, I would encourage you to go talk to them about that. It sounds like it's eating your lunch, the things that are going on with you and them. Uh, you should probably have a face-to-face -face with them and not talk about it here in life group. 
not talk about it here uh, over our lunch together. Because I want to be a sounding board for you, but my, here's my advice. Let's be biblical. If you have an offense with someone, go talk to them, Matthew 18. Go deal with it. And don't be a spreader of accusations. You know, the Old Testament had a standard. Uh, if you were going to you know, bring a, a claim against someone, you had to have two witnesses. That was the standard. It's interesting that Paul says here, two's good, three's better. I mean, you want to re- be really sure before you impugn the character of, of a leader, you want to be sure of what's going on. Because his reputation and, and that of the church that he leads, they're at stake. The, 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 the flow and, the, and the, uh, the momentum of that church is at stake. That's why uh, earlier in the same letter, Paul said to Timothy, hey, listen, Tim, when you're choosing elders, make sure that this elder is someone who's thought of by outsiders well. Who's, uh, it mu- they must be well thought of by outsiders so that he uh, may not fall into disgrace or into the snare of the devil. Uh, we, we don't want disgrace being brought on us as a church. We don't want this, this, uh, this elder who perhaps has legitimate you know, issues and stuff, uh, being carried off in his pursuit of sin, his pursuit of immorality, and, and taking us all down with him. Be careful, we're gonna talk about that in a second, be careful who you make leaders, but then uh, understand that whoever you make leaders, they af- affect the reputation of your church. So let's give the benefit of the grace to our leaders. If you need to have, listen, I encourage you, if you need to have conversations with me, uh, have them. Uh, with, with any of our leaders, any of our elders, have conversations. Come lovingly, all right, with grace, uh, understanding. Uh, but if there's been any offense, anything like that, talk to the person, not to everybody else. And deal with these things in an honorable way. Now, if there are at times any things or anything that comes up in a leader's life that certainly needs to be dealt with, immorality arises, uh, offenses in how they deal with people, uh, we need to deal with those things, and that's why we need to understand that we need to be firm with leaders. Look what it says next in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Now, he's saying, listen, for those elders, he's, the context is elders, for the leaders who are actually guilty of sin and then choose to persist in it. So you do Matthew 18 with them. Hey, uh, the way you're treating people, it's not right. Hey, uh, th- this, this area of your life that you're not being careful with, it's going to affect us as a whole. As you deal with those things and they say, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. And they persist in those things. After those requirements in Matthew 18 have been fulfilled, then, then ultimately there needs to be a dealing, a firmness that has to happen in leadership's lives. There needs to be a rebuke. It needs to be done in the presence of all. And it needs to be done in such a way that everybody can understand that this will not be tolerated. And that these uh, leaders, whoever the leaders are, even though they are revered, hopefully, and honored you know, in, the, in the things they've done, if, if they turn away from God in ways that are going to hurt the church, then there needs to be something done. I... Uh, was a pastor in a church in Illinois where my father was on the staff. I left and went to a church in Dallas, and about six months after I left, the phone rang. I was on a ski trip in Colorado, and it was my dad. And my dad, uh, I was back before cell phones and all that stuff, so he had tracked me down to get to my hotel room in Colorado. And, uh, and through tears, he, he let me know as I'm on this ski trip with all these high school students, my first big gig with the youth group I was leading, um, hey, Mark, I'm stepping down. 
stepping down from uh, uh, my position as a pastor at our church. So one of the first times I, well, actually the first time I went back to the uh, church that I had left in Illinois was to watch my dad resign uh, on a stage. Uh, my dad, uh, his sins aren't super important, but he had made some uh, poor decisions in his relationship with my mom. And uh, it was legit. It was worthy uh, that he uh, needed to step down. Hardest uh, Sunday I've ever sat through in a church. It's like a living funeral to watch a guy that you love um, leave his life in ministry in the church. Uh, about six months after that, the junior high pastor that I had personally hired, uh, it came out that he was involved in similar type immoralities, and he stepped down. Um, in this little church where there was about uh, five or six pastors on the staff total, uh, you can imagine this was hard, uh, jarring. Uh, in some respects, they're still, uh, even 20 years later, recovering uh, from that season. Uh, but they did their best in it. It was a hard thing. Uh, they did their best in, in trying to uh, deal with something that was hard. If you've been around here at our church, you know that 13 years ago I came here uh, as a result of our first leader uh, making similar decisions and, and having to step down from his role. And if you have been here for any amount of time uh, during that season, you know it was hard here. In the first few years that uh, I led and we led as, as an elder team together, we had lots to walk through. It was like triage in lots of respects. Um, it's hard. But when these things come, and here, can, can I pause in the sermon? Can we pray that this kind of stuff never visits our church ever again by the grace of God? Can we all pray for, for that? Amen? But if listen, we live in a world where mess happens because it's a messed up world. When mess happens, we deal with it. We honor God in it. We seek to put him first. I tell you this all the time. Please never follow a pastor. Always follow your Savior. Never put a guy above your God. And never, um, never make someone a Teflon pastor. You know, there, should, there should never be an allegiance to someone uh, that would allow you to overlook uh, the things that need to be dealt with. Certainly here in, in Ephesus, uh, there were false teachers. Did you know that the false teachers were probably elders, counted among the elders of Ephesus? Like if they're teachers, they're in a position to teach. And so Paul was saying to Tim, hey listen Tim, if, if maybe he's saying even here, if, if these false teachers continue to teach falsely, you've gotta rebuke them in the presence of all. And you've gotta do this, read that last part of the verse with me, you've gotta do this so that the rest, the other leaders and the rest of the church can understand. We need to do this life uh, trepidatiously. Like just so you know, I pastor scared. Not like, you know, scared of my shadow scared. But I wanna, I wanna guard against anything that could ever lead me to the part uh, of life where I saw my dad stand on the stage and say, I gotta step down. I wanna be chicken of any instance that could ever put me in that position. So I got all kinds of crazy standards for me and women. Ladies, I love you, and I know, just like we studied last week, we should treat each other as brothers and sisters. I try to love you, and, but, but there's going to be a limit of the ways that we are going to hang out, okay? Not because I don't trust you or I even don't trust me. We're just not going to have anything that could possibly be seen as an indiscretion happen between us. If you come and counsel with me, I would love to talk to you. I, I, I love having conversations uh, with, with men and women in our church, uh, 
But regardless, if you're a male or a female, there's gonna be someone parked right outside my office. I got really thin walls on purpose so that, you know, not so that people can be taking notes on what we're saying, but so that no- nothing can be misconstrued. I'm gonna sit on the side of my table that faces the window in the door that every pastor has so that no one who walks up could ever say, well, I can't see them in there. I don't know what's going on. No, I'm right here. How's it going? I'm not gonna give you rides home. Not because I'm cruel and, and selfish and not a servant. It's because I don't want anybody to be able to say, hey, listen, these two people were in a car alone by, with each other and this was possibly happening. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna walk scared. And part of my walking scared stems from watching my dad and a guy employed resign their post. Uh, we should all walk with a healthy fear, not a, not a, a har- harboring fear or, har- or a, you know, a, a fear that controls us, but with a, with a healthy respect of the things that could go wrong in our leadership. So, be fair, be firm. Give the benefit of the grace. Assume the best when it comes to talking about our leaders. But when something's wrong, let's deal with it. Let's handle it correctly. It goes on here in verse 21. We're going to talk about being fair again. Uh, it says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels. That's quite a charge there. He covers like two-thirds of the Trinity, and then he pops the angels in there on top of it, right? Apparently, he wants Tim to under, you know, this is big. Listen to me. By God the Father, by Jesus Christ his Son, by the angels. He, he, I mean, it's one of the only times that we, we see the angels invoked in a charge. Uh, but he's, he's saying, listen, by all things that are God and, and godly, uh, you've got to make sure that you keep these rules, these standards of being fair, of being firm, of honoring uh, elders, you've got to keep these rules without what? Without prejudging, without partiality. No favoritism. No, no letting someone slide when it comes to being firm because you're great friends, because you've got years together. No, we, we honor God in how we, we treat each other and how we, we, we treat our leaders. Uh, no, no being extra, you know, uh, you know, Punitive, because you don't like the person. <laughs> I've never liked how they do their job. So when it comes to, you know, uh, the, you know the, the, we, we stay on the, on the even keel, wisely discerning and making decisions that are based on wise assessments. No uh, jumping to conclusions either way, whether it's guilt or innocence. No showing favoritism. Uh, we want to be fair and we want to be firm. And then the last thing is this. We need to be careful when we're appointing those who lead. We need to be careful when we're appointing those who lead. Look what it says in verse 22. It says, do not be, what's the word? Hasty in the laying on of hands. Laying on of hands was uh, basically how Timothy had gotten, uh, if you read earlier in the book, Paul references it. He says, listen, man, don't abandon your call. Don't abandon uh, everything that God's called you to. Remember, I, you know, the elders put their hands on you, and you were uh, affirmed and confirmed in your leadership. Don't run away from that. So that hand-laying thing, uh, is, especially in this context, is about conferring leadership on someone. And, and Paul says to Tim, hey, bro, take your time when it comes to naming leaders. You know, uh, there's qualifications. Uh, this same book, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Walk through those things. Make sure you're getting someone who fits those qualifications. Uh, in, in the business world, we all know, if we, if we are a part of this uh, chain of command, it's way easier not to hire than to fire. It's way easier to, to know who you're dealing with ahead of time so that you don't have to deal with them after time, right? And so we're careful on the front end. We should be careful when it comes uh, to putting people in positions of leadership. Uh, <laughs> Paul goes on and he gives us this great parenthetical. He says, 
Uh, no longer drink any water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Uh, it's in parentheses in your Bibles because it's kind of just, anybody ever do this? You're like, you know, squirrel, anybody ever done that? And you're like, you're writing along and it's like, hey, Tim, uh, oh, I, I was going to tell you this earlier, but make sure you, you know, just, just medicinally speaking, have some wine. This is not, you know, everybody have a box in your fridge and just, you know, slam it all day long. This is a box, isn't that horrible? Who doesn't drink wine? How's it going? Anyway, because uh, <laughs> I know there's better, but I know there's, they come in boxes, right? Isn't that true? They come in boxes, okay. Um, <laughs> He just kind of throws this in there. Some scholars have thought that maybe uh, Timothy was, was bending towards the ascetics, the people like earlier in the chapter when he talked about the false teachers, they had taught that you can't get married and they had taught that you shouldn't eat certain foods. Maybe they had, they had outlawed wine. And so maybe Paul's saying, hey, Tim, I know you've got you know, that tummy ache. Uh, drink some wine. It's, it's totally okay to have some wine. Just uh, yeah, Whatever, but he puts it in there. But can I get to the point we're talking about? Because... It goes on, he says, that the sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. He's, remember he says, don't be hasty. He's continuing his thought. He says, don't be hasty when putting you know, hands on people. Don't be hasty. And put, because here's the deal. Sometimes you, you'll have an applicant or someone who's a you know, potential leader, and you'll look at them and say, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. The, the way that guy treats his wife, it's just obvious to everybody, anywhere they go, and, and so it, until he figures that part out, he's not going to be suitable to lead in a church. Uh, that, the way that guy, I mean, sure, uh, you know, God loves all of us and we all have our own, you know, deal, things to deal with. But, but the way that he drinks every weekend, I mean, he, he's coming to church on Sunday and singing the songs uh, after he's, you know, been down, I always say down in Ebor. Uh, I know we drink in lots of different places. But, you know, he's been, he's been to the bars and he's just living this life. He's just not suitable for that. It's not his time to lead until he sorts that stuff out. He says, listen, sometimes people's sins are obvious, but then other times, what's it say? Sometimes the sins of others appear later. And the only way that you're going to see these things is if you give them time to show. You know, I, I love the process that we have for our elders here. If you want to be an elder on our church, uh, there's a nomination process where people in the church can actually say, you know what, he'd be a fitting elder. And so we go through that process. Well, then we, we narrow that field. We talk to the potential candidates and, and people rule themselves out for whatever reason. It's not my time. Uh, but then we come down to a, a group of guys when it's time to pick some elders and, and, and we say, okay, these are the ones that was, we kind of funnel through this thing that we want to you know, potentially look at as being elders. And so we invite them to come be a part of the elder board. But guess what? Uh, they can't do anything for the first six months uh, that they're a part of the elder board. They just kind of sit there. They watch us, we watch them. They can be involved in the conversations. We want to hear what their thinkings are in, in certain areas, but, but there's just this, it's a six-month thing. And even when that period is done, we give the church, the rest of the church, uh, once a year, uh, a chance to affirm the leadership of our elders. If there's ever anything that comes up in, a, in an elder situation that you know, can be uh, confirmed by two or three witnesses or something like that to where you know, it, it's evident that this person shouldn't lead, we want to know that. Why? Because we want our leadership as best as possible to be honoring to Christ. We don't want to bring leaders on uh, who have things in their life that uh, they wrestle with just like all of us wrestle with their stuff. But the stakes go up. Remember what Jesus uh, said to the disciples? Hey, if anybody leads one of these little ones astray, you know what they should do? They should take a couple cinder blocks, tie them off on a big piece of rope, and then wrap that rope around their neck and jump in a lake. Your Savior said that. He says, don't lead one of these little ones astray. Don't be a bad leader. The stakes are higher when it comes to our leaders. We've got to make sure we pick the right ones. 
So, as we walk as a church, can we all be grateful, first of all, that God has blessed us with some great leaders? I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about our pastors and our elders. I'm talking about our life group leaders. He has blessed us with a leadership culture around here. It's not perfect, but we are blessed to have great leaders. Can we seek to honor them? But then will we always commit? Let's always commit to this. Let's always commit to honoring Christ above any person and to honoring what he says and what he holds so that we as a church can move forward in his mission and his vision for us. Loving each other. We don't shoot our wounded. Okay, if anything does go down, let's, let's handle it well, right? But let's make sure that Jesus is the leader of our church and honor him in what we do. Can you stand with me and we'll pray when we clo- we'll, as we close? <clears throat> Lord, thanks so much for a chance to study the book of 1 Timothy and to learn the things that we've learned from it. Uh, God, as we consider uh, leadership, thank you for your leadership of us. Thank you for uh, providing your word and the guidelines in it. Thank you for providing uh, leaders who've come before us, guys like Paul and Timothy, uh, for us learning from their strengths and even from their weaknesses. Um, thanks for that. Thanks for our church and the culture of leadership that we have here. Uh, Lord, uh, may we honor those who lead around here uh, to, to the glory of you, God, uh, so that uh, we can continue to be encouraged and moving forward in your vision for us. Um, but then, Lord, if there's anything that's going on uh, that, that's, that's not right, help us to identify that and lovingly deal with that uh, so that, again, you get the glory that you're due. Help us to be careful, God, in uh, appointing those who lead. Help us to um, be nurturing of those who do lead. Uh, and thank you, Lord, for this chance to talk about this today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.